Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask authors important questions like, why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, Editorial Director at Curse Dragon Ship Publishing. Our guest this week is Trisha J. Wooldridge, writer of horror and torturer of consenting adults. She writes stuff that occasionally wins awards, child-friendly ones as T.J. Wooldridge. Find her in the Shirley Jackson award-winning The Twisted Book of Shadows, some HWA poetry showcase anthologies, all of the New England horror writer anthologies that she didn't edit, and many others. If she's not your favorite now, she will be after. I get you two drinks now. I earn drinks by reading. This is my favorite thing ever. I yes. love it. I love it. It's so exciting. Yeah, I hate getting people's names wrong. So I'm glad I got it right. Thank you. It's great. Thank you. Awesome. So how are you this evening, Tricia? I'm doing great. Um, as I mentioned before, I, I can't say much, but I just got invited like less than half an hour ago to be part of another anthology that I'm so excited about. So, so eventually I'll be making more um, posts about that. That's amazing. It's always, you know, you've reached that next level when you're actually invited to them. Yeah, yeah when I got my first invite. Involved. Oh, yes. Halloween. Yeah. You hear that, moms? Halloween. Mm-hmm. Moms are just a little bit of Halloween fans. It's like their favorite Yay. thing ever. Our people. Well, my people. I, yeah. Our people. That's right. Well, they're yes. going to enjoy this. So yeah. our, for our very first question, we traditionally ask, where do you get your ideas? From the blood of my enemies. <laughs> Consenting authors. Now, hold on now. Well, that's my ideas. That's not my editing. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the editing torture is with consenting authors. My ideas, you know, just. Yeah. And that's, I also drink my whiskey from their skulls. Um, I mean, there's no other way to drink whiskey. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the more serious answer is um, so. <laughs> no, no, I like that one. Next question. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. The blood of my no. enemies. No, go ahead. Where where do you um, get your ideas? <laughs> so, uh, so the one thing that always stuck with me. So um, I I love Jane Yule, and I don't know if anyone's familiar with her. Uh, the Hans Christian Andersen of American literature. She has over four hundred books out: children's books, Owl's Moons, all the di- the uh, How Do Dinosaurs Say Goodnight. And I've been really fortunate enough to work with her um, through a lot of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Um, oh. And we were chatting, and she's like, and, and she's like, ideas are everywhere for writers. You look at something and you wonder, huh, what's the story behind that? You see the sneaker on the side of, and this is Jane Yolen who writes for mostly children. You see the sneaker on the side of the road and you wonder, is there a foot in it? And if so, why? But yeah, I get them all (laughs) over the place. Like they attack me. Um, I have more ideas than I can actually write stories about. Um, because my brain just goes everywhere. I also do have ADHD and I like being open and talking about it because there's a lot of downsides. But one of the upsides is I've got this crazy imagination. So if something weird just hits me, I'm like, hmm, so what's the story behind that? And then just the wheels start ticking. So honestly, everywhere, wherever something interesting or weird might be. Yep. Excellent. I love it. But Blood of My Enemies is what's getting written down for posterity. All right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin would like to know, well, first, I want to know, because you mentioned Jane. Um, yes. What other, like, childhood idols do you have as authors from your childhood? Um, so besides Jane Yolen, um, which, again, it's, it's one of those awesome things you, like, get to, like, when you finally are on author, with authors on panels. 
So um, Peter S. Beagle, obviously, last unicorn. Mm-hmm. And, and and to be on panels with him, like, I, I, it was like all the work to, and I was moderating all the work <laughs> to, like, moderate him. Because I'm like, you, you can just keep talking. But no, I need to get the other panelists' chances to speak. And I got complimented on moderating that, too. Because also awesome. on that panel, um, I believe it was Patricia Briggs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, um, uh, Tony from Tor. Not Tor. For, uh, Tony from Bain. The other Weisskopf? one from tour. Yes. Tony who's amazing. I do love mm-hmm. her. Um, uh, one of the tour editors. So it was, it was all about like editing and, and compilations and working with editors and like all these people who I want to work with, but, and then somehow actually have gotten to work with, um, Misty Lackey, who I just, she has my heart because she wrote the first really openly queer characters in contemporary fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this, this, this is a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> And and I needed it. I think I read them when I was like 12 or 13. And it's like when you need to see representation. Um, so like being on panels with her. Um, well, oh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, because I well, that, like ate every single Dragonlance thing possible. Like literally, because they have a cookbook called that's one of the source books, and it has recipes. And my Christmas what? cookies. I love that. Why do oh, I not have that? Cookies from the end of the last home. And <gasps> I make the the Kender cookies every year for Christmas. And they are like my most requested cookie. Um, and I love so them. Because cool. I'm also, a, I, I am also a Kender. Um, occasionally <laughs> a very evil Kender, but a Kender. Because Kenders well, are basically ADHD, you know, semi. Definitely ADHD. No yeah. doubt whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Shiny. Oh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I felt, I always felt for Tasselhoff. Did you ever read the Deathgate cycle? Yeah. I love the Deathgate cycle. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, DragonCon two years ago, I was on a panel with Tracy Hickman. So I brought my Deathgate cycle hardback. And so he signed all them. Now I'm like, now oh, I just need nice. to meet Margaret Weiss. Yes. So. I see. I never got to be on a panel with them, but I did stalk them at DragonCon. Consentingly, because <laughs> they were at a table. So therefore you're allowed to stalk them. Yes. And then I like. It's encouraged at that point. Yes. And so I talked about the recipe. So I brought leaves from the In the Last Home. And literally, this thing is like tattered. And like the cover is like velvet soft. And they were so touched to see how much I loved this. That's um, so cool. So so now I keep it in like a plastic Ziploc bag on Because <laughs> I've copied all the recipes by hand. Like, you can get them digital now. I've got these digital. This needs to yes. be preserved. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Oh, Jessica says she still knows the words to the Kendra Morning song. Oh, don't make us sad, Jessica. <laughs> Can you put fixative on this time? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go really goth if you make me cry. <laughs> oh, let's see. Kevin wants to know how does being an editor change your qualifications for someone to edit your work? Oh, that's a really good question. That um, is a really good question. I. Well, when I'm looking for someone to edit me, um, I I look at other people who I've worked with, like um, uh, people who other authors who I trust have recommend, um, authors who I've either, or editors who I've worked with with other projects who opened up to be freelance. Um, and I actually have like a list and other colleagues because also mm-hmm. most of us book up anywhere three to six months in advance. Right. So I keep a list of trusted colleagues who I've either edited with or who have edited for me. I'm like, I like this person. And also different projects really work better with different editors. 
Um, because I have such a really wide selection of stuff. I write children's, I write super dark, gory horror, I write poetic stuff, and not everyone is is a good fit for that. So mm -hmm. I need to find, um, I need to pick editors who I know will understand the content, understand the theme, um, and just by getting to work with them and getting to know with them is, mm -hmm. is how I evaluate them. Yeah, that's a yeah. very good point. Because yeah. I had some people as an editor come to me and want me to do their memoir. And I'm like, look, I can proofread it. I can proofread anything. But if you mm -hmm. want a deep dive and you know, a, a, you want a dev editor, that's not my thing. I don't know the tropes for memoirs. I don't know the pacing mm -hmm. for memoirs. I don't, it, it's different. So it's right. a lot harder to get in there. So that makes sense mm -hmm. when you, you go through and you have to find those. So right. I guess the answer to your question is, Kevin, we're pickier. <laughs> We are pickier. Like, yeah. I know who can do, like, I don't do romance. I, I have, mm -hmm. and people who still wanted me, even though I told them I don't do romance. Mm -hmm. I'm like, honestly, and, and here's the other thing as an editor, because I'm very, very, very fortunate, knocking on wood, that I have, again, a three to six month, you know, yeah, I know I've got work for that long. So, like, if it's a project that I know is going to be really hard for me, because, again, I'm not a romance person, especially not if it's, like, cishet romance. Um, and I'll and if they insist, like, well, here's my rate. And it's, and I've had people actually pay me that. So I'm like, all right, I will do your romance for this ridiculous editing rate that I quoted you. Yeah, because if you oh, want to pay happy. me, they I'll do the research. <laughs> I can research yes. for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh -huh. and that was that was actually one of the the really as because again editors also get um, such bad imposter syndrome. Like anytime I send edits to an author, I'm like they're gonna hate me. They're gonna hate me forever. No. They're never gonna hire me. They're gonna be crying. And like then they hire me again. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes. So, like when yeah, and That's why when, I always do a sample edit though. I do. I do. Yeah. Yep. And then. Um, and then the ones that come back to me who have done like for a spec project who want me to do like a romance. Um, and I'm like, this is what I got to charge you because this is not in my wheelhouse or mm -hmm. someone who is recommended by someone else um, who needed a lot, who needs a lot more work on their piece. And I'm like, this is going to be a lot of work. Yeah. Here's my, here's my rate for this. Cause I know how many hours this is good. Like I, I charge by the word, but yeah. I also, it's variable. Cause like if I, a lot of errors because I again I always ask for a sample from the author so that I know what I'm getting into mm -hmm. um and then I'm always willing to give a five-page sample edit back if it's a new client um yep. but yeah if it's going to be tough I'm like this this is what I got to quote you because this is going to take me a lot of time and I could do three other mm -hmm. shorter edits and they're like nope we'll pay and and that's just so affirming and it's like you're willing to pay me. <laughs> it's so nice. I might get this a little bit. Yeah, it is wonderful, right? Because let's face it, we are tearing apart their baby, but we're yes. tearing it apart for a reason. Right. And because, with love. Right. Because the people who want to hire an editor, they want readers to love their book. Exactly. So if you, I can tell you what readers want, that I can tell you. Mm -hmm. So I can tell us we're going through and the same thing like you're doing. It's always, these are also my suggestions though. Right. Right. So it's a suggestion. Exactly. Take take and, it take it as mm -hmm. you want. <laughs> and I do my best to like format all of my responses to authors. I try and keep mm -hmm. as much of it open-ended questions or yes. some sort of a question. Mm -hmm. Um and usually giving options. 
Yeah, so, I get like options. if it's an actual, all right, this is actually completely an incorrect fact and this is not going to work. That's so yeah. <laughs> here's your options for if you need this to be a plot point. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I try and give them options for that too, because again, it's mm -hmm. their choice. And honestly, more often than not, the authors won't necessarily take one of my options. They'll come up with something totally different mm -hmm. and it's so much better. But they yep. said having those options and mentally going through them and saying, no, that won't work because, no, that won't work because, mm -hmm. sparks in them what the actual, what will work. Right. Or sometimes it also gives them a better idea of what the problem is. Right. Like exactly. if they don't understand me having the problem, but based on my solutions and like you, I always give more than one because I'm yes. not saying you must change it like this. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to illustrate why it's not working. And so by doing that and just reading the examples, they understand better why it's not working. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Though I did have one client once with just a sample edit, which is why you should always do the sample edits. Uh, you know, this is for writers as well, mm -hmm. because you might yes. not get along with that editor. So definitely do right. sample edits. If they don't do sample edits, you don't want them. Yeah. And so I did a sample edit and he emailed me back. He was like, but this looks like it's going to be more work. I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to respond to that. <laughs> oh, can you imagine Kevin Petway? Poor Kevin Petway. <laughs> That's where I uh, pretend that I'm not I'm not a New Englander and I'm and I pretend I'm Southern. I'm like, bless your heart. Right? Your right. <laughs> yeah. You sweet summer child. But good thing I did. I didn't just accept work, right? Can you imagine what would have happened? Yes. No. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. Nope. Sample. Yeah. <laughs> and also sometimes like my style doesn't work. Some people prefer an editor who's more direct, who will tell them this is wrong. Do this. And that's mm -hmm. not my style. I, I right. can't right. do that. Um, so I'm like, you know what? My friend Suzanne is great at that. Why don't you, here's, here's their contact information. Um, and that's again, a thing. If we do a sample edit and the author's like, eh, this is what I was looking for. I'm like, oh, I know an editor who would actually be a perfect match for you. Um, because that's that's part of what it is. You refer your friends because right. it, it goes with, with editing as well as with writing. A rising tide lifts all boats. So I think that's the way the thing goes. In other words, you know, help others and, and we all do better. For the record, the writers in the comments are all commenting about how we love to change their M dashes and their ellipses. So yes, yes, we do. Yes. There are rules for those things. They have yes. subconscious meanings. So when you're, reading, when you're reading as a reader, um, you have this subconscious <laughs> training that you're not aware of. Mm -hmm. And and by using the M dash and the ellipses properly, you're mm -hmm. helping the reader understand a deeper meaning to what you want your characters to say. Correct. And you're making it easier for the reader because you're freeing up if the reader has to think about what a sentence sa is saying because the punctuation's messed up mm -hmm. that's less of their brain appreciating the motivation and the plot and and the emotional impact if they have to think logically about the actual writing they can't disappear and have that sense of being part of the scene and yes. and that's what you as a writer want to do is you want to Give the reader that experience of being in the scene with those characters. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I have to say, doing editing helped me being a better at being a better writer. Me too. Um, yes. Because I'm I like, oh my gosh, me. quit doing this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I do that. I should quit doing yes, this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
Yeah. And so yeah, <laughs> editing helps help me. And I and I got started getting paid for editing before I started getting paid for writing. So yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what you learn. Mm-hmm. So many things over and over again. Chicago manual style becomes your friend since we do fiction. Mm-hmm. Another reason why I don't like memoirs. I'm like, I don't know how to know. Yeah. And those have separate rules for grammar too. They do. Yeah. And they have separate reader expectations, separate ways to market them and things right. like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just not yeah. my thing. Now I could proofread it, but that's it. Yeah. Um, so. And I have to say your work. So we talked a lot about your editing, but you are an yeah. amazing, talented writer as well. Thank and you, you seem to Thank specialize you. in short stories. Like I would call you like the short story maven. You're incredible at it. So what is it about that form of storytelling that is so appealing to you? Um. It's funny because lately my short stories have not been cooperative with me. They've all turned into novellas. <laughs> They're like, I so, wish no longer to be short. So here's the thing with, with being a neurodiverse writer. <laughs> is my brain works in what I call fits and spurts. Um, I will hyper-focus. And there's actually quite a few writers who do that. And it was really cool to hear them talk. I will hyper-focus on something. And like, I will do a bunch of short stories because that's where my brain is at. Um, Other times, like, so just in the past year, I've not been able to even focus on short stories. I've done poetry. So I did a lot of poems because that was where my brain was at. Because for me, poetry is a lot of emotion packed into a small space. So it's like a really, really deep dive Mm -hmm. into the emotions, but it doesn't take as long. Um, But it's a much more... I mean, one time I ended up writing up, it was a very long poem, actually. It was uh, 5,000 words of iambic pentameter. And then like for three days after I was actually typing my text in iambic pentameter. (laughs) That's my brain. Um, You were programmed for a little while. (laughs) Yes. So, but what I do like about short stories is, again, I can really use my hyper focus for that. So I can like take a weekend and sit or like a week and I'll have it done. Um, and then I can go back and fix it. And a short story, what I like also about short stories is that they are this, it, it forces me. So one of my problems as a writer, one of my constant challenges is I overwrite. And I, when I have a rough draft, I know right off the bat, I'm going to probably have to cut between 25 and 30%. So practicing with short stories has helped me with my longer works um, to try and get an idea of scope and get an idea of what fits into this kind of space. And so you need to look at what's the emotional impact because the emotional impact is different from Mm -hmm. a short story to a novel. Mm -hmm. So you need a much stronger, but faster emotion in a short story. It needs to hit you harder and faster than a novel where you can have the ups and downs and that bittersweet and you get to appreciate the transitions between emotions in a novel length thing where in a short story the emotional story of it is 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 an exploration of one particular emotion one particular feeling and one particular experience and it's a really deep dive into that mm-hmm. excellent i love that answer thank you Let's see. So you've also worked as an, an editor for many anthologies. And yes. I find anthologies don't sell nearly as well as I think they should. So what would you tell readers as the mm-hmm. benefits to short story collections as a form of entertainment? I thought there's, first of all, you can read them on the toilet. <laughs> That's what I say. They're a poop at a time book. Yes. 
Um, also, you can, if you can commute, um, usually a short story, if you're like, dri- like not driving commute, a short story is very often readable in the time to get from point A to point B. If yeah, you're doing audio driving. If you're, but if there's an audiobook version of the anthology, there you go. Then it really works. So I have a lot of my friends who are looking, and this is one of the downsides: is that there's not that many anthologies that have audio versions. And it's a too lot of my friends, and they don't sell. It has, but the audio versions I bet would sell mm. because if you've got a shorter commute, you get a full short. Uh, you get a full story. That's true. So. I mean, I'd love to. I we don't have money. Uh, the, the places that I've done anthologies either, but I would love to see them in audio format. And that's why I think um, things like Pseudopod, Podcastle, Escape Pod do so well because they are short. They're audio short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my friends subscribe to that because that's what they want in their commute. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but anthologies—they're also again, if you've got a doctor's appointment, if you've got to wait at the DMV. If you've got to, I don't know, wait for anything in this whole wide world. If you're stuck on hold waiting for the RMV, if you're waiting for your insurance company to explain why they didn't cover that particular thing that's supposed to be covered, I can just read a short story while listening for them to tell me how many times they appreciate my um, money. Mm-hmm. But not so enough to actually answer the phone. Yes. Yeah. But also they introduced me to authors I wouldn't necessarily have known. And because it's a short story, I'm more likely to check out an author. Okay, I liked this short story. Um, if I see other places where they've had short stories, okay, let me read another short story by this author. Oh, I still like them. Now I will go and get a longer book. Um, and that way I can try out and I have more reader satisfaction because I've kind of like tried out. I've, I've given the author a test drive. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I like that too, right? So you can just give yeah. a little bit. You get their voice. Yes, yes. Even if it's different characters, even if it's a different world, you kind of get a feel for who they are. And then you you might be yeah. able to check something out bigger. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if they have like such a very distinct, like stories in very distinct voices, I almost am even more intrigued because that means as a novel, they might have multiple different, po- multiple points of views in that ways that I'm not expecting. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I love so, it. Yeah, I do love anthologies. And here's so I'm also in New England. New England is a very special place in the United States. Um, New England authors are actually really close. Um, it's it's like this little like hyper close author community, especially speculative and and horror. Mm-hmm. Like I know so many horror, so we have a lot of conventions and conferences. So what does really well outsells everything in, in person events mm-hmm. are the anthologies. So I was at, um, I mean, I usually do about one event a month, give or take. And I'm part of the New England Horror Writers, and we mm-hmm. do an anthology more or less every year. And hands down, those are the best sellers at our table, very often because we have several authors there who can sign it. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being a really good gift for people. Um, but again, this is very much a New England demographic thing. So mm-hmm. I can buy, I know that if I buy 10 of my um, uh, New England Horror Writers anthologies at cost, I'll sell them within an, an event or two. Um, we were able to fund a lot of our stuff just because we have these physical sales of, of that include our anthologies. Um, and 
Although wicked women didn't have any, and yet we sold enough where we upped our pay. So nice. Yes, the anthology edited really well. It is an awesome <laughs> freaking anthology too. I mean, I am so proud of this <laughs> anthology and the stories we got for it. Um, so I'm not surprised that it did well enough, even without actual events, mm-hmm. to bump our prices. But mm-hmm. so if you haven't got Wicked Women, you should totally pick up Wicked Women. Get the one. It's fun. Yes. It's fun. Yeah. Helen wants to know if, um, do you think that units of fiction, if the units are getting shorter in general, like not just short stories, but chapters, scenes, like there has been a, a huge uptake in flash fiction. Do you think this is the trend we're going to or? I actually, from what I've seen, it's actually going in both directions. Uh... So I've seen a lot more calls, which fortunately for me, since my most recent short stories have all not been very cooperative. <laughs> I've seen more calls for novellas. This might also specifically be in the horror genre. Mm. Um, but there's a lot more publishers who are doing novellas and doing novellas as, you know, single like reader magnets or audio things. Um, uh, Tour Night Fire has a specific novella, a novella group, like uh, editing. Uh, what the heck do you call Pull it? Up. Arm of the Blur. Yeah. Um, so Tor has that. Um, I know Tor Nightfire. So it's an imprint, right? Yeah. So the imprint of an imprint. Gotcha. <laughs> um, Welcome to publishing. I, <laughs> yes, I know. And um, the one out of the UK that also pays really well, uh, Flame Tree Press does a lot of novellas. Um, Crystal Lake does a lot of novellas. Uh, Cemetery Dance does a lot. So these are all horror publications, and they sell these novellas. And they'll do like specials with groups of novellas as well. So that's very much a horror thing. And I think more of the other, more of the other speculative. So the fantasy and sci-fi are starting to catch up with that. But I also have seen, as you noticed, a lot more flash and drabbles coming out too. Drabbles are hundreds words or less. Oh, I was going to um, say, I've what's seen... a drabble? I haven't even heard of that. Yeah, it's a it's hundred words or less. Hmm. And I've seen more markets for that too. So, so yeah, so the... The so I've seen more expanse. I haven't necessarily seen less call for short stories, but mm-hmm. I've seen more expansion in both ways. And I think part of that is with um a lot of the independent publishing and smaller presses, they're creating a market for them because you can do those on ebooks, you can do shorter audios on those if you're willing to do that. Um, and you can bundle them. And that a lot of people are also using those for reader magnets for their other stuff. Yes. Yeah, I do like it for that effect, too. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, when you're not torturing consenting writers, which is the best definition of an editor I've ever seen, by the way, <laughs> what kind of hobbies do you enjoy? I have a horse. <laughs> Yay, horsies! Horsey yes. talk, horsey talk. Yes. So I have a horse. Um, so I actually, so I worked with an equine rescue for 10 years. And through that equine rescue, I met Calico Silver, who's my current baby. And I've had her now for 11 years. Um, she's turning 28 this year. Oh. So she is She is a former um, PMU mare, a Premarin mare. So the sad story behind that is that their horse is used to create the drug Premarin. They have terrible, awful lives. They're trapped in stalls. They are kept pregnant. They get a month off and get pregnant again. It's a terrible thing. 
So the pharmaceutical company that was making that had her in particular went bankrupt. So a bunch of the rescues all bought all the mares and foals before they got sent to slaughter. Oh. Um, and so the woman who had um, adopted her through the rescues mm -hmm. um, let her be a horse, just you know, do nothing for four years. Recovery. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Enjoy this pasture. Enjoy running around. Here's some other horsey friends you can talk to. Um, but then she went through a really, really difficult divorce mm. and lost everything. And she needed a home for Calico. And, and that's how I ended up with Calico because she was affiliated with the rescue. And I was at a point in my life where I was looking at maybe doing a lease of a horse. And um, uh, Susan, who's the, uh, owner, who's the founder of Bay State Equine Rescue, where I worked, is like, I, knowing, seeing how you work with the horses, you're ready for horse ownership. Mm -hmm. um, and we sat down, we made a budget, we made expectations, we looked at the places for boarding. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, all right, okay. And I talked with the husband and I gave him the whole, this is the budget. This is the emerge. This is what happens if we both lose work. Um, I did the research. <laughs> yes. And he's like, all right, let's do that. You can do this. And I'm like, mm -hmm. can do this. We can do this. And I got oh. the okay to do this. And this is my other favorite. So this is where like riding and writing intersect. So I was, um, the, I was the guest of awesome at a local con called PyCon. That's my favorite name. It is. I loved it. It is awesome. We it's, totally it's, need to steal that. Yeah. And, but it was also when Hurricane Irene hit. So Oops. like, there was only like a few hundred people at the con. Oh no. That's okay. Like you can actually meet them though. I mean, that could be yes. cool. So it was a super intimate, like, I just had a room party and like, <laughs> hey, everybody. Um, Come on in. <laughs> But that's when I got the, okay, let's, let's make a date to pick up your horse. Oh, that's so, so cool. That happened. Yeah. And so she is just an amazing horse. She is the horse that everyone that, um, Amanda, who's my current, where I keep her uses her for all the beginners because she is, I want, I don't want to say bomb proof because bomb proof kind of a horse is dull. She's not, she's mm -hmm. very aware of who is on her back. And she's very aware of her surroundings. She's also, again, 28. So that's a ger that's almost geriatric for a horse. She's getting there, man. Yeah. She's the one that protects the herd. She chases Aww. off the coyotes. She thinks the other horses are dumb for not doing this. <laughs> she, so if, she've got, if you've got a new rider on her, she is the gentlest, most responsive horse you'll ever meet. If Aww. someone sort of starts to know what they're doing, she's like, oh, I'm going to challenge your authority. <laughs> And, Man, and she'll familiar. do it like she'll match the level of like the person for challenge. Like she'll never get too much for them, mm -hmm. but she will challenge them. Um, and I, I love that about her. Um, one of my other favorite stories about her is like, so she was used for camp. And so Amanda put this five-year-old who had never been on a horse on her at all before. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And it was February camp. So the sun Isn't was hitting. the coldish in Massachusetts in February? It's snow and ice. Yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry, they were, yeah, they were lined up under one of the sides of the barn because we've got barns bordering our, our big um, ring and the sun was hitting it. And all of a sudden, um, Calico breaks into the most gentle canter for two, three strides. And mm -hmm. as she's doing that, Amanda sees the ice and snow sliding off the edge. So where they just were, this 
pile of ice and snow had fallen and Calico with this brand new kid so gentle she kept this new rider on her back to get just far enough out of the way and I'm like my baby she heard that stuff fall and she's like I'm getting out of here yeah but that was not even smarter for to canter because canter is so much smoother than truck it is, so it is. she she's was like got, I got you she's got this smooth mm-hmm. beautiful almost like carousel horse canter um mm. it's great um so yeah so that's so i'd work with her um i also so i had a whole bunch of health issues um and that messed with my weight and so because she's an older horse and she's um only 14 one hand so she's barely not a pony even though she's a draft cross so she's big and bulky but -hmm. she's also 28 so even though i've i've dropped a bunch of weight i'm still not at a place where she can carry me and it'd be good for her it'd be comfortable yeah yeah. So mm-hmm. now I'm working with Kate, who's our Belgian cross at 16.3. And that's probably... our horse. He's 16.3. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. She's beautiful <laughs> um, and awesome. So I've been riding her and doing groundwork with Calico. So I'm trick training Calico. So she smiles, she bows, she plays soccer, um, teaching her <laughs> to cross her legs and look sassy because she's she's got the sassy look. She can look sassy. Leo would just look at us like, are you serious? I am a show horse. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Like he knows when he's at a show, he walks like a normal thoroughbred. He's at a show. He almost prances. He's like, yep, Uh, here I am. I am beautiful. Everyone. Yeah. (laughs) She loves, oh, she loves having an audience. So I was was working with her one day and I was, she was just in a mood and not wanting to do um, lunging, which is groundwork. So walk, trot, canter going around in a circle. And I do a lot of Liberty training, which means she's not tied. Um, Cause we have a small round pen inside and she's just like mare face, pinned ears. The stupid, I don't want to do it. Try. <laughs> and then like the next class, two of the girls from the next class came in to watch all mm-hmm. of a sudden, this is the most collected trot arch neck. <laughs> I am gorgeous. I, I just do the the just the physical cue for canter and she goes into the most collected smooth canter and I notice oh the girls are watching I'm going to make you work now and I did I put her through all the paces and as long as the girls were watching she was awesome It's like a teenager who's a brat to you but it's just yes. complete wonderfully obedient to everyone else yeah. <sighs> and that's why I decided the trick training would work for her because she loves an audience that's and she's cool. extremely smart. Um, so those are two. And so now I'm also, because again, Calco is getting close to retirement age. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, was it yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday um, in between working with Kate and Calico, Amanda's like, Hey, you want to work with Fido? Let me tell you about Fido. Cause Fido is a unicorn. Oh, Fido All right. is this so tell people what that means. Well, he literally looks like a unicorn. (laughs) He's that. So not even like the horse term of unicorn because he's young and flighty. But he looks, (laughs) he looks like a unicorn. He is white with the dapple gray gray nose and the dapple gray fluffy feathered feet. But he's like got, I want to say he's an Arabian Morgan cross of some sort. So he's got the beautiful arched neck, super mm-hmm. floofy mane. I touched his mane. It felt like people hair. Oh, it felt like people hair. <laughs> and Amanda's like, I, and so it's, so we're, we're the scratch and dent barn. Amanda rescues animals, like 
it doesn't matter. We've got pigeons. We've got we've got Canada geese that Amanda has adopted. We have rabbits. We have you name it. It's been at the barn because Amanda loves animals. Um, we have turtles. So we're the scratch and dent barn. We Aww. we pick up horses in need of love. Um, and Fido is in need of love. Fido and she's like, I hate that name Fido for a horse. It's the stupidest name for a horse. And then I worked with him. You know <laughs> how you get those like great wolfhound dogs that think they're lap dogs uh-huh that's fido so he was he, properly named yes he was properly <laughs> named he wants all the love he would literally crawl into your lap he has no sense of personal space how old is he i think he's like only like maybe four or five he's fairly oh. young well, that's normal. Yeah, that's normal baby behavior. Um, and but like even like to me, what's even excessive because I've worked with babies before. Um, but he's like in in your face, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my head on your shoulder. I'm gonna lean on you, and I I wanna touch you while I'm walking. I'm like space, space, and you because you, you, you know you wave your arms to you know show yeah. them your bubble, and and then he's like. <gasps> And he's so like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so offended. You don't want to cuddle with me. Well, no, he's spooky. He's a little spooky. So he's See, now, terrified. Everything you're describing to me is sounding like a thoroughbred. But he does. He doesn't look. He looks like an Arab Morgan. With he doesn't have the thoroughbred body. He's like round. No, any personality urban. wise. So like you're saying, like you haven't seen that cuddly thing. My yeah. my ex- amount of experience is with thoroughbreds, and okay. we get that all the time. We have thoroughbreds and quarter horses. I don't mean I okay. own them, but I mean that's what we have experience with and those thoroughbreds especially at four oh my gosh they're big babies they cuddle they'll just sit your their snouts on you like they'll yeah totally totally normal yeah so amanda's like work with fido and and so and so again i've got calico who's sassy Mm -hmm. um kate who's also fairly sassy but not too bad and then i've got puppy horse puppy spooky puppy horse and so this was like a whole new thing for, well, not really whole new, because I worked with the rescues and I'm used to spookies and puppies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd been a while. So yeah. I, so we just, so after I, you know, walked him around and really got a feel for him, I'm like, all right, all we're going to accomplish today is walking to the door without you trying to run out the door and giving me personal space. Perfect. And as soon as, and that was it, that was all that we accomplished. Yep. We mm-hmm. got that done. I walked him to the door. I got him to back up without fighting me mm. and like we're good here's your cookie you're you're awesome <laughs> but yeah so i got to work with this unicorn and I, like he literally if you just like put a horn on his head it is like legend unicorn like if you you saw the movie legend that's mm-hmm. what he looks like that's exactly what he looks like that's beautiful yes so, that's so yeah that's my that's my non-writing hobby is is working with animals that might kill me <laughs> That's why you have to train them about personal space. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's the thing that people who are new to horses don't realize. You want to make sure they respect your personal space because they will accidentally hurt you. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That sometimes they will do it on purpose. Mm. But usually it's accidentally. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's never been run into the fence by a horse. I mean, while she's riding it. Never. <clears throat> um. So I want to, the audience is very excited about your short stories. And okay. Kevin wants to know. Um about your horror he wants to know do you set out to write terrifying things or are you just writing stories and the horror just creeps in 
Like, is that your intention or does it just happen? And he's asking because that's how it is with humor for him. He's not like, I'm going to write a funny story. He actually writes a story and then the humor can't, like, it has to be in there. He can't help it. That's how he writes. So for you, what, what, how is it with horror with you? It, it started, and that, that's very much mostly for me. Um, I, I planned in my life, because I, I, I knew I was going to be a writer when I was in kindergarten, and I came home with my sentences, and I had to show off my sentences. Um, <laughs> and and I was over. Like, you were sold. Yeah, I was, I was totally going to be a sci-fi fantasy writer. And everything started just getting dark. Like, so I also, I also again, being neurotypical um, and all of that, I, I got a lot of bullying at school. So there was a lot of, you know, that awfulness where you learn that humans are the biggest monster in existence. Um, and so that just crept into all of my stories. So even when I was writing like fantasy and sci-fi, there was a lot of darkness there. And, but that, that little bit allowed me to like get into New England horror writers and sell more stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like, I started actually intentionally writing horror and then it got even darker. <laughs> Well, there is a healing aspect to it, so that makes there sense. Is. There, I, there mm-hmm. is. So mm-hmm. one of the things I noticed with horror writers, honestly, some of the kindest, sweetest, most teddy bear people you will ever meet are horror authors. Um, we went so Nikon, which is the Northeastern Northeastern Writers Conference, um, which is mostly horror. Um, we had a hugging contest. <laughs> We we have we've had marriages happen there. Um, yeah, so lots of lots and lots of love there. Um, because we put our demons out on paper, um, and sense. we talk about Drone them therapy. and we're open to talking. Yes. So yeah, I've so always I've, said I'm really glad Stephen King writes because I can't imagine right. <laughs> if all that stuff was just inside. What would have happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I didn't intend to do horror. The horror <laughs> came, and then I embraced it. I like it. You're like, this is who I am. I can do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, Kevin specifically wants to know, what is the healing aspect of horror? The healing aspect of horror is, is you face your monsters in your head where you have a certain level of control. When I'm writing, I can delete a line, I can change a line, but I also am being authentic to that emotion. So when I'm, when I'm writing, my brain's in multiple places at once. Mm-hmm. It's in the story. It's experiencing the story. But a part of it is always in almost a logical mode. So it creates that space, that study. I'm studying this emotion. Why is this emotion? Why is this scene affecting me in such a way? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the common advices, advice given for writing is, if you want a scene to be scary, you should feel scared while writing the scene. If it's, if for, you should be disturbed. If you're writing a romantic scene, you should be aroused. If it's sad, you should be crying. Mm-hmm. So I'm in that place. I'm in that emotion. I'm crying. I'm scared. I'm feeling all those things. But a part of my brain is also logically looking at it. So that's a way to give myself agency over the things that scare me. Um, over the things that have hurt me. So one of the stories that I um, that I've had a lot of really positive feedback writing, uh, in when I've read it out loud, is um, one that came out in Wicked Weird some years back. And so I've had a lot of health issues, um, particularly feminine health issues, and a lot of doctors saying you're overreacting, um, blaming my, uh, saying my weight was the cause of this when. 
when actually the hormonal imbalance was the cause of the weight. And I argued for years and years and years, the weight kept getting worse. And I'm like, this is my diet. Look at what I'm eating. Look at the fact that I go to the barn two, three times a week. I am walking 6,000 steps a day. I'm hiking on weekends. Like, that, that, I'm doing all the things. And I'm still gaining weight. Um, this makes no sense. Right. And so I, there was a lot. I was so angry. And so I recently had um, a vertical gastric sleeve, which is stomach surgery to cut the stomach down. Mm-hmm. And I was so angry about that because what I wanted was a hysterectomy because I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just tired of all of the suffering regarding my uterus and all of that. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the TMI for folks. No, you're good. Keep um, going. So I, I felt like I was being forced into a choice that I didn't mm-hmm. want, that they were still focusing on being fat as opposed to the actual issue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you do have it, it is a reset for the system. So there are other good reasons that it did affect. Um, I'm still dealing with stuff with that now, but I just had so much emotion. So my story for that, and it was, it's a weird, it's weird styled horror. So somewhat cosmic, somewhat you're not sure what's reality, what's, um, what's, you know, fiction, unreliable narrator, all of that kind of mixes in to make weird fiction. Um, and there was a story about this woman who is who has weight issues and is getting thinner but still getting heavy because she's sucking in all the pain and amassing it in her body and turning it into a monster. And the doctors are just looking at the numbers. And she's like, I went down three dress sizes, but you're still complaining that I went up two pounds. Um, and it turns into this, the monsters start coming out. Um, yeah. And, and that was, that was a very, very dark, I did a lot of, um, difficult and and a lot of people have come up to me when I've read from that and they're like, thank you for writing this. I've gone through such a fight myself. Um, the first time I read it, um, which was at Necronomicon, Mm -hmm. two women were in tears and they came up and gave me hugs afterwards. And I'm like, I'm glad I could do this for you, but Mm -hmm. it's really creepy it's really disturbing. It also is the one that I've got the most eat people either love it or hate it <laughs> because I really go into like the dark side of dealing with chronic illness mm-hmm. and dealing with the American medical system. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that one. Too many doctors so, not listening to women. Right. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it was healing because I could take all of this vitriol, all of this anger and frustration and the self-hatred because that they, they feed into you when you're told you're fat you're doing something wrong even if you're not that still gets recorded right um same with adhd you're you're lazy you're mm-hmm. a flake those get internalized you just need to try harder you just exactly uh-huh. couldn't couldn't you just uh, yeah just want couldn't I just scream? Can I just? If I could just, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> right. So, so yep. that's where it's healing because mm-hmm. I can take all that anger and put it into the monster of the story. Mm-hmm. And in another sense, I can also reveal who the real monsters are because when you're writing, I can show the monsters are the ones who are causing these problems. Um, yeah, so that's that. how it's healing um, because I can write this and also. When I get people saying thank you for writing this, 
that's healing because now I've touched someone else and made them feel less alone and less tortured. That's perfect. What more could we ask for as writers? Yeah, exactly. Excellent. All right. So we've had so much fun. We're going to enter the flash round. You ready for the quick one? Okay. All right. Let's see if I can ADHD the flash round. You can do it. You can do it. What part of your daily routine is an absolute must? Caffeine. Love it. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Grape nut pudding. Grape nut pudding? That's a New England thing. It's a New England thing. It is a New England flavor. It's made with grape nut cereal. And it's just like vanilla malted. And it's just, it's really different. And it's got a great texture. That's awesome. <laughs> Never even heard of it. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Both. Hot or cold weather? Fall and spring. Ah, oh, cheater. Okay. Favorite style of music? I, that's also t- I'd like I all all mostly metal, but also goth, goth metal combination thereof. I love it. Uh, cats or dogs? Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> I expect you to say horses. Horses um, too, and bunnies. And bunnies. Might be bunnies. <laughs> Skirts or slacks? Depends on what I'm doing. I'm a hiker. I'm not going to wear the skirt for riding or hiking. <laughs> it's perfectly fair. Uh, natural colored hair or dyed? Depends on my mood. <laughs> I like that too. I need some better yes or no questions. We're writers. We're not good at yes or no. No. <laughs> also ADHD. It all depends. My <laughs> mood could totally be, ooh, that's a really cool indigo color. I'm going to go do that right now and not I need that now. It. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to paint my room, but you just painted it. But look at this color. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, awesome. The So uh, podcast, did you have fun? Yes or no? I had a blast. I had Yay. a blast. Thank you. Excellent. So That went by uh, really fast. It does, right? That's I have to keep looking at the time because remember ADHD, we can't tell time. So I keep looking at it. So I try to keep on track because I value your time and I don't want to keep you all night. Um, So I do want to know, though, where can fans find you and your work? Um, I do have a website that I mostly sort of kind of keep updated at anovelfriend.com. And if you Google a novel friend, you'll probably find all the rest of my social media on there. But I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and then I copy that stuff to Twitter. I'm not actually on Twitter, but I pretend Mm. to be. Um, I need to learn how to use Hootsuite. Um, yeah, and yeah, mm-hmm. excellent. So yeah, if you if you Google an old friend, you'll probably find me or even my name. There's not that many Trisha Woldridge's out there. Well, I'm about to earn my third drink. Ready, ready? Yes. Because I want now that Trisha Woldridge is your favorite author, please make sure to review her work. Uh, check out those anthologies. Like we said, poop at a time. I mean, they're fun. And also review us at wherever you get your podcast. You can also yes. follow us on Twitch and subscribe to us on YouTube. And we want to thank our subscribers, DH Dunn, Roger. Was there someone else? This is what I always need Zafo for. He's supposed to tell me beforehand. Helen. And Helen, yes, thank you, Helen. So thank you very much for our subscribers. You literally leave our lights on, so our pay for them, keep them on. So thank you very much. We much appreciate you. And we can't wait to see y'all next week on twitch.tv slash Dragonship at 8 p.m. Central. 
when we interview Kevin Petway. Yay! 